today on a super spooky Halloween edition of the Rotten Righteous Podcast, we make the statement. So now we've got a leg-pulling demon, we've got the mama with bruises, we got a daughter with invisible friends named Rory, and we've got a, a murderous invisible man living in the corner. It's a bad time for this family. <laughs> Buddy, and welcome back to the Rotten or Righteous podcast. As you can tell from my voice, this is our spooky episode, full of spooks and creaks and groans and and just all sorts of scary scarinesses. Oh, what's that? What's that over there? Oh, jump scare! Oh, I got gotcha. you, got gotcha. you, you got you got scared. <laughs> no, no. With me today, as always, for this super spooky episode, we've got a guy dressed as a ghost. Oh no, it's Luke Taylor. Don't scare me. Luke. Boo. Boo in the Halloween sense. Oh, and we've got a guy dressed as a sumo wrestler. It's Scott Judge. <laughs> in the Halloween sense. And as for me, well, I'm dressed as a loving and caring podcast host. I'm Zach Geiler. That is a costume, for sure. And oh boy, guys, we're going to be in for some spooks and some screams and some scares. Because this week we watched The Conjuring. I still don't know why it's called that. The conjuring? conjuring? Yeah. I think, as the pagans pronounced it, conjuring. And it is a performance of tricks which are seemingly magical. Or, it means to call upon a spirit or ghost to appear by means of a magic ritual. Which, I think that's what the witch did. So she's the reason why we call this bad boy the conjuring. See, well, they'd been better off to leave the juring out and just refer to it as the con. But it wasn't a con; it was real. Have you ever con? Have you ever called on any spirits to curse anyone, Zach? No. All right. Well, hypothetically, if you could, I don't want do to. you have anyone in mind? That you would curse. I'll let you know as the podcast goes on. Wow. My dog's just chilling out on my couch being a good puppy. That dog is a good puppy. You're a good elderly dog. Yeah, he's he's. I, I adopted a 12-year-old half-blind black lab that doesn't retrieve. I thought you said he was four. That's what I was told. Yeah. <laughs> from the pound 
Is that where? <laughs> like, oh, we think he's like. Uh, You'll love this, Luke. A couple years old. Some guy and his wife moved down from Connecticut. Oh, Connecticut. And, they, and the guy talked watched. like this the whole time. He's like, y'all down here have some, have some wicked bad accents. Isn't that more like Brooklyn? I mean, that's, they're not too far apart. but It's more Boston than anything. But that's what he sounded like. He's like, we have all these dogs out here. And uh, we just, you know, trying to live the dream. But y'all's accent, your guys' accent, you guys' accent. Oh, it's terrible. You guys' Uh, he had over a hundred dogs. Yeah, we got a hundred dogs out here. There's Rex. There's Twilight. There's Bunny. There's Krampus. There's Tur- Turtle. There's uh, Puppy. We didn't come up with a good name for him. It's ironic. He's ninety-two, but we call him Puppy. There's uh, Fatty. There's Skinny. There's Mediumy. All right, let's dive into the review of the con- Conjuring. Twenty thirteen's Conjuring. Jump scare. Oh, got you again, Dennis. Man, if we have a listener named Dennis, he's going to freak out. He's going to be like, he's talking to me. I'm not talking to hey, you, Luke, Dennis. Did you, did you jump at any time during the movie, get scared? Yeah, a couple times. Did you really? I mean, I kind of watched it in like the middle of the day, though, also. So it's never as scary if you watch it when the sun's shining through your window. Me and Scott Ooh. watched it in the basement of an old church building next to a cemetery. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's the and way you're Zach to do it. Squealed. That is not true. On numerous occasions. I believe that 100. percent Let's get into our review of 2013's Conjuring. Three terrified roommates are talking to Ed and Lorraine Bobbitt. <laughs> Lorraine Bobbitt cut off her husband's doohickey, didn't she? Yes, she did. This is not the same woman that was in this movie. Yes. No, no, not at all. I only know one Lorraine, and that is Lorraine Bobbitt. And so every time I say Ed and Lorraine, I want to say Bobbitt afterwards. But it's not Bobbitt. It's Warren. <laughs> Ed Are these and- real people? I heard this was a true story, according to the intro, so I believe it. Yes. Ed, Ed and Lorraine were real people. They had a serious room full of spooky nonsense. and Oh, I found them. The Bobbitts? The Conjuring. The Warrens. Ed, Ed, Lorraine looks somewhat accurate. Ed, not so much. No, they both look real frumpy in real life, and they're portrayed by beautiful people. Anyways, movie opens up. There's three terrified lady women who are are all real scared, and they're talking to Ed and Lorraine Warren, famous ghost hunter extraordinaires, about some, some creepy stuff that's been going around. Turns out they got a spooky doll named Annabelle, and uh, there's this girl that died in her apartment named Annabelle Higgins. And Annabelle Higgins is like, hey, three lady women, can I please come and, and stay with you and live inside your terrifying doll that you have for some reason? And they were like, sure thing, Annabelle. Sounds fun. I'll make you some pancakes in the morning. And Annabelle's like, cool, 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 cool. But it turns out that Annabelle's actually a stage five clinger. And anytime her friends went out, Annabelle got a little mad. And she took a red crayon. Why they have so many red crayons? I don't know. Why did she use any other color? I don't know. But she took a red crayon and she just scribbled all their walls. All over their walls. This is the most passive-aggressive demon ghost doll I've ever seen in my life. She's not doing anything particularly violent. She's just drawing on their walls. My four-year-old does that today. Anywho. Could, could you really use any other crown, though, if you're a demon? I mean, what color would you use? Purple. 
Purple's my favorite. I don't think that I don't think that would change if I was a demon. Ah, gotta yeah, go with be, red. Pretty much like the worst demon ever, though. So yeah, I wouldn't be a good demon. Even if you draw like a picture of like somebody hanging with blood all over them in a lilac crayon, it's just not going to have the same effect, right? <laughs> if you were if you were a demon, uh, Scott, what color would you select? I mean, as your red tool. Yeah, yeah. And so, Annabelle's, Annabelle's scribbling all over the walls, scribbling on the ceiling. I don't know how this short little doll got up on the ceiling, but she did. And they were like, uh-uh, I had enough of this, Annabelle. And they picked her up and threw her in a dumpster. Big mistake, because then Annabelle's going to come and <laughs> knock on their door real hard. Ooh, spooky. Bang, bang, bang. Ah! Come and knock on my door. <laughs> and so the, the Warrens are there, and they're like, hey, uh, real quick, that ain't a ghost... I need a little girl ghost in that baby doll. No, you you got yourself a demon. And they're like, oh, a demon? A demon. But the way that Ed says it is kind of, of funny because he says it in a very nonchalant way. He's like, now listen, I, let me tell you girls, good news, you don't have a ghost in, in that baby doll. It's just a demon. <laughs> it's just a demon. It'll oh, be okay. Thank, thank goodness. I thought it was a ghost. But now I know that it's a demonic spirit. Everything's great. Thanks, Eddie. And then he goes on to say, hey, and also, Annabelle, she doesn't want to be in your doll. She wants to be in possessing one of you guys. And they're like, oh. And that's the story, Ed and Lorraine tell to a whole bunch of university students that they're lecturing at the only university in the world that has ghost hunters come in and teach classes. Ghostbusters you. Wake, Wake Forest, isn't it? Well, they are the demon deacons. <laughs> you know, some of the professors that they called in for, like, guest lectures at Ohio State, I would absolutely believe if they brought these guys in. There's some nutso people coming in there. And they're like, okay. Lorraine just died in 2019. We could have had her on the podcast. Yeah. We could have. Two problems with that. One, the podcast didn't exist in 2019. Can't we conjure her spirit or something? Well, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, what's the same? We can't. Et felite, expertisanti, Lorena papatiti, Warren decatiti, please, e pliveris unum, come forth, Lorraine Warren. Hi, you, you, you spooky boys. I'm Lorraine. I'm Lorraine Lauren. Warren. Huh? I forgot my last name. Being dead means you forget things sometimes. What's up? You guys want to talk to me? Too afraid. Um, when you were exercising. Yeah, I did a lot of squats. I mean, look, ever... frumpy. My glutes were like they were like steel, <laughs> like two steel hams. Ching ching. Go, Go away, Lorraine. Okay, I'll see you later. Bye. That was weird. Man, my butt is really sore. Almost like somebody was doing squats. Doing squats in your body. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so we know the Warrens are legitimate because, well, they're teaching at university, and, and smart people go to universities. And then we get a real awesome, weird, like, 1960s horror movie-esque type scroll. It says uh, some words to tell us uh, who the Warrens are. They say, Since the 1960s, Ed and Lorraine Warren have been known as the world's most renowned paranormal investigators. Lorraine is a gifted clairvoyant, while Ed is the only non-ordained demonologist recognized by the Catholic Church. Out of thousands of cases throughout their controversial career, 
There's one case so malevolent that they kept it locked away until now, based on a true story. The Conjuring. What is our position on demon possession? What is this podcast's official position? Do we do we it's believe bad. in it or no? It's bad. Oh, it's okay. I I wasn't sure if we were personally. Say it was... Personally, I'm against it. You're against it, as in you oppose it, but you believe it's true. Or like as I, in you I mean, don't like I wouldn't like I wouldn't like go out and advocate that people get possessed by demons. I just don't think that's nice. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't say that demon possession never happened. The Bible talks about it several times. So, no. The question is: Does it happen today? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Because well. being able to cast out demons was one of the miracles or signs that the apostles could perform that showed that their word was from God. God's a God of justice. He wouldn't give us an enemy that we couldn't beat. And seeing as we can't miraculously cast out demons today, I don't believe demon possession is a thing. I do I do think there are malevolent forces. I don't believe in ghosts, per se, because once you die, the Bible clearly tells us that you go to the Hadean realm. But I do think that demons were active throughout history. Why wouldn't demons still be active today? In some way, shape, or form. Well, there you go, dear listeners. The official stance of the Rotten and Righteous podcast. What, you don't have any rebuttal? Nothing to say? Just No, I, I just needed the guidance of this uh, official committee to tell me what my opinion was on it. What is your opinion? About the same. <laughs> <laughs> way, way, way to make me sound like some liberal going out here be like, Yeah, there's demons flying around. Well, you heard it here, folks. I was folks. hoping for that. That would have been good material. But Zach's, Zach's, a, Zach's a liberal. What's your opinion, Luke? That's ah, about saying. Next, we're introduced to the Perrin family, who moves into a house in Harrisville, Rhode Island. And they move in, and they're like, wow, look at this creepy old place. There's not even internet here, Dad. And the dad's like, it's 1970. There's not internet yet. Ah, these kids, these time-traveling kids of mine. Scott, can you explain to us what time was like before the internet? It was great. It's not something I can really fathom. It was fantastic. It really was. No Google searching, no social media. Can what we else still, is on the internet? Can Email? We still, can we ask Jeeves? Is that on the internet? <laughs> I guess then you'd have to get rid of cell phones. Well, just data. You can still text and call. You'd have to get rid of all like ordering online shopping that you do. Yep. You'd have to actually go to a store and walk around. That sounds terrible. Stop it. Your letters to my parents. Oh, stop it. You're scaring me. This is supposed to be our spooky episode, but not this spooky. <laughs> Anyways, the parent family moves into this creepy old house. And everybody's like, hey, this house is kind of creepy. They have five daughters, by the way, named Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. April's the youngest, 
And boy, oh boy, I have not seen bags under the eyes of a six-year-old this heavy since <laughs> they found that kid that lived in the cave for 12 years. Her kids she, do look a little rough. April looks as if she has not slept in 47, 47 years. She's only six, but she looks like she hasn't slept in 47 years. Is that the one that um, gets pulled out of bed by her foot? No. Or is that the other one that's talking April- to the, the music box? Yeah, April's the one that talks the one to the... talking to the music box. Talks to Rory. Uh, the one, uh, the other one that gets pulled out of bed, she looks dreadful too. I mean, I don't I mean, know what I, happened. I don't know, wh- I don't know if they just hate that girl. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about, um, oh, it wasn't Cindy. What was her name? Nancy. You're talking about Nancy. Right? Nancy... Is the only one of their daughters that has like short hair. All the other girls have beautiful long brown hair. Then Nancy has like some weird dorky vibe or bob with weird bangs, <laughs> which makes me think that they hate this girl. They took their well, whole they also family. Named her Nancy. So they took the whole family to the the barber shop, and they're like, "Oh yeah, just give everyone a beautiful haircut." Not Nancy. You give her an ugly haircut. <laughs> It's clearly the least favorite. Nobody believes anything she says. It's rough. She, she's terrible. And the, the dog named her Karen. The parents' names are Roger and Carolyn. <laughs> and they have a dog named Sadie. And I'll tell you this much. Not old Sadie, long. Old Sadie does not want to <laughs> go in that house. Period. Doesn't want to do it. But then Roger's like, stupid dog, I'll go in this house. And he does. Alright, so they're all moving in, having a great time. And then uh, April, the youngest, the very tired looking child, is out playing by an ancient creepy tree. Rule number one of house buying. If there's a creepy tree in the backyard, don't buy it. It's probably not good. But she's playing by this tree, and she finds an antique music box. Having a great time. She's like, look, I found this terrifying box that has a clown head that just keeps popping up and down in it. And her parents are terrible, so they are like, yeah, you should totally keep that. Would you take that away from your son if you found it? Because I would, in a heartbeat. Yeah, music boxes are bad news. So far, monkeys with cymbals, bad news. Music boxes, bad news. I mean, all of these are like repeated symbols in all of pop culture horror, so. Later. I've learned my lesson. Right. Later, the girls are playing a a fun-filled family game that everyone knows. Hide and clap. I've never heard of this game before I watched this movie. But anyways. Sounds kind of dangerous. Here's the gist of it. Whoever's it is blindfolded. Then everybody else goes and hides. Why do they need to hide? Because she's wearing a blindfold? I don't know. But they go and hide. And then the person that's it is like, Hey, everyone, clap. And then everybody's like, And then she follows the claps until they can find them. So they're playing this awesome, fun hide and clap game. And during the events of the game... A boarded-up stairway that leads to a dark cellar is dis- is discovered. And what's down there? 
the furnace. There's a whole bunch of other creepy stuff, but the thing I want to focus on is the furnace, because Scott brought up a good point. Who buys a house without knowing what kind of furnace it has? What are you going to do? Just just walk into the house and, and the guy's like, trust me, there's a furnace here. Can I see it? <laughs> the furnace hasn't been seen for 50 years. <laughs> they said they bought it at auction, so you know it was like just a foreclosure. Sight unseen. But still, they turned on the furnace. Who doesn't know where their furnace is? <laughs> this, this wall gets, gets knocked out. They find a secret cellar. And Roger decides that the best way to investigate the cellar in which he finds the furnace is with a box of matches. Roger, this is 1970, not 1870. Go get a flashlight. He's like, uh, I would totally do that, except uh, I really enjoy getting the tips of my fingers burnt every 30 seconds. So, if you light a match, like the the amount of light that those things provide is like next to nothing. Like they exaggerated in this show. If just dear listeners, if you go down into your cellar, that's not going to work. Rule number two of buying a house: don't buy the house with a creepy tree in it. Rule number two: always make sure you know where your furnace is at. And rule number three: if you come across a secret hidden cellar, don't go down in it at night with only a match. It's dumb. <sighs> It's real dumb. So, they don't know why the cellar was boarded up. Probably a good reason. I've never once came across a secret room in my house that was boarded up that, that wasn't boarded up for a reason. But, they don't really worry about it. Roger's like, hey, square footage plus, we can antique the crap out of this basement. We can go start selling wardrobes and, and sewing machines and 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 weird bed springs that have all the mattress parts but the bed springs taken out of it. How I've seen that more than I care to mention that there's these bed springs without any mattress attached to it. How does that happen? Where did the rest of that mattress go? <laughs> like I've seen this the not just in it. I've seen this not just in scary movies but in like real life. I just cleaned out this old dilapidated smoke shed behind my house, and there was just a rusty bed spring in there. No bed, no mattress around it, just the bed spring. I want to know where the mattresses are going. Next day, girls wake up, and they're like, hey, our house stinks. And then Carolyn has a mysterious bruise on her leg, the mom. All the clocks in the house stopped at 3.07 in the morning, the hour of the demons, and Sadie the dog is dead. Poor Sadie. And there's just a bunch of blind birds that keep flying into the house's windows. There's something strange happening around here. And that night, something grabs Christine's leg while she sleeps. That's the, the dumpy girl's name, Christine. I got it wrong. <laughs> the dumpy girl. <laughs> Christine's leg while she sleeps. What's going on here? It's a big mystery. There's something spooky happening there to these poor people. Wonder what it is. Then we go back to the, the Warren's house in Monroe, Connecticut. Later... A fancy black reporter from the 70s, the only black person in this movie, comes to interview the Warrens about their demon possession. And the Warrens are like, hey, 
Don't you worry about that. We got all the demons locked up in this room in our house where our children sleeps. They're like, that sounds highly irresponsible. And he's like, yeah, but we get a priest to come over and, and we bless this, this, this room uh, at least once a month. And he's like, what do they bless it with? Holy water? How do you how do you get holy water, Ed? Oh, you boil the hell out of it. Wow. That's <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> And he's, you know, this reporter's looking around, and he sees Annabelle in the case, and then, uh, the Warrens are basically like, hey, we're good people. We go out in the world, we find demons, and we say, hey, demons, please stop. The demons are like, okay. And then we take their <coughs> toy, or whatever they're possessing, and we take it back here and put it on a shelf. They're like, great. Got it. They're not very responsible with this room. Like, they just leave the door wide open, their kid gets in there. I mean, they have a room full of toys. That's what it is. Yeah, all the toys are kind of scary looking, but they're just a room full of toys. And then they have a little girl, and they're like, "Hey, Minnie Warren, don't please don't go in there." And then she's like, "Okay, I won't go into this giant room full of toys and touch everything." Oh, it's also <sighs> important to note that at this point in time, the reporter tried to touch um, a toy monkey, monkey, and Ed turned around and said, "Don't touch my monkey." Everything you see in here is either haunted, cursed, or has been used in some kind of ritualistic practice. Nothing's a toy. Not even the toy monkey. Don't touch it. Maybe there's like some demonic, uh, demonic draw. You just like want to touch it. I mean, if I see a toy monkey, I want to touch it. Period. Demons or no. Really? Like in every show I've ever seen, toy monkeys are like not good news. Like Mm -hmm. Phantom of the Opera? No. I mean, I can't, tell you, no. I can't tell you how many times I've come across a, a toy monkey, because I never have. But if I did, I would touch it. I would touch the monkey. It's always the one with the symbols. Right. But I've never seen one in real life, probably because the Catholics have them all. It was during this exposition slash interview that we learned that during an exorcism, Lorraine had a bad time. And so Ed feels that he needs to protect her. What happened to her? We don't know yet. Later on, all the kids go off to their new school. We're back in uh, Rhode Island now. All the kids are going off to their new school. And, and Carolyn decides to spend some time with their youngest daughter, April. And April's playing with a music box, talking to an imaginary friend named Rory. She's having a great time. Again, this kid looks like a demon. Like a little sleepy demon. But then April wants to play hide and clap because her big sisters won't let her play. And then the mom's like, alright, blindfold mommy. Carolyn is blindfolded. April goes and hides. And April's like, clapping. And mom's like, oh, I found you. It sounds like April's in a wardrobe. Sounds like April's heading off to Narnia. But mom's going towards the wardrobe and she gets there. Oh, there's nothing in there. Even though we saw some hands clap, there was something in there. But it's not there anymore. Spooky. Kids in Narnia got a way better deal. Uh, well, as Carolyn is getting close to the, the wardrobe, she hears breathing and she's like, I can hear you breathing. I'm gonna get you now. 
breathing. But it sounds like this. And she was like, yep, that's my little girl's breath. If your daughter breathes like that, you need to take her to a hospital. It's nighttime. It's nighttime a lot in this movie. And uh, frumpy Christine is sleeping. And something comes up and pulls her leg again. And then she's like, what was that? She looks over in the in the dark corner. She's like, there is something in my room. Christine's all like, oh, there's a guy in our corner. And then Nancy's like, and then she wakes up her sister sharing a room. Nancy, not frumpy Nancy. This is glasses wearing Nancy. Nancy wears glasses. Christine is frumpy. Now that we've got this all taken care of. She's like, hey, Nancy, there's a, there's a something over there in, in that corner. And Nancy's like, your haircut's bad, and there's nothing over here. <laughs> and Our hair wasn't in her eyes. Then Christy's like, but it's talking to me right now. He's like, it told me that it wants my family dead. So now we've got a leg-pulling demon. We've got the mama with bruises. we got a daughter with invisible friends named Rory. And we've got a, a murderous... Invisible man living in the corner. It's a bad time for this family. (laughs) Back in Connecticut, Ed gets a call about a case. And Lorraine is feeding the weirdest chicken I've ever seen in my life. It's like a chicken with a a poofy hat on. And and Ed's like, hey, I've got to go get some groceries. And Lorraine's like, Ed, you know you can't lie to me. I'm clairvoyant. He's like, oh yeah, probably shouldn't shouldn't try to lie to somebody that's that can read people's minds and whatnot. Um, I got a call, but I didn't want you to come because you know that thing happened to you where the exorcism went wrong. And Lorraine's like, I'm good. Remember, God brought us together for a reason. He's like, yes, and that reason is to hunt demons. This might be the most religiously based movie we've watched in a month. <laughs> Yeah, it probably is. These people are pretty devout. They go to these people's house, and they're like, Hey guys, it's us, the Warrens, famous demonologists. Um, Your house isn't haunted. You just got some creaky pipes. And they're like, oh, good. Can, can you fix that? No, we're not plumbers. <laughs> we're demonologists. Bye! The, the movie really wants us to, to be rooting for Ed and Lorraine. And they so they put it in scenes like this where they're like, or where we go, oh, see, they're not kooks. Sometimes they don't find a demon, they just find pipes. Oh boy, so it's legit when they actually find a demon. They're very practical people. Back in Rhode Island, Carolyn keeps getting bruised, she keeps getting woken up with clapping, and then one dark night crash. thought I was going to say that loud and scary, but I'm not going to. Subverting subverting expectations. That's the scary scares. Something knocks all the family pictures off the wall. Ah! Rude. So all of the family's pictures are on the ground. Carolyn's like, there's something weird going on here. This house might be haunted. 
So she's like, I know what I need to do. I need to go down to the basement. Someone go get me the matches. Carolyn. (laughs) (laughs) Did her husband fix the light the morning after that? Like, he had the light bulb on. Right. And they've unpacked. They know where the flashlights are. There's flashlights later in this movie. Because she's at the top of the steps with a match in front of her face. And then all of a sudden, just these two random hands pop up beside her and just go, Ugh. Ugh. I hated that. I hated that so much. <laughs> the Warrens are teaching another session at college. <laughs> this is stupid the way I said that. The Warrens are teaching another session at college. <laughs> And they show a, a movie about how they assisted with an exorcism that didn't go so well. Why would they show this? Ah, you think that if you were an, an exorcist or saw some exorcisms, you would, you would want to show the ones that worked, you know? Hey, how'd this... Well, they're uh, how, they're what, honest. What, what happened after this exorcism? Oh, the dude popped a cap in his head. He's dead now. They're honest realists. That's how they're presenting them. And so, we're told... You know, it doesn't always go the way you want. True. I mean, this dude's having a terrible time. He's got a, a Roman Catholic crucifix stuck in his kidney, apparently, that's trying to get out of his skin. He's got... <laughs> he's he's bleeding... I'm about that. He's bleeding from his eyeballs. He's just having a bad time. And apparently, it was during this particular exorcism that Lorraine had her little accident. But then they teach the three principles of demonic possession. And if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write these down because I cannot tell you how many times I've used these in my life. Which brings us to the three stages of demonic activity. Infestation, oppression, and possession. Now, infestation, that's, that's the whispering, the footsteps, the feeling of another presence, which ultimately grows into oppression. The second stage... Now, this is where the victim, and it's usually the one who's the most psychologically vulnerable, is targeted specifically by an external force. Breaks the victim down, crushes their will, and once in a weakened state, leads them to the third and final stage, possession. Now, what they don't say is that a few years later, between the infestation and the oppression, the Lorraines added a fourth the heebie-jeebies. That's when you feel that something's there and it creeps you out. You get the heebie-jeebies. Which, now we have the acronym I-H-O-P. IHOP. They started <laughs> IHOP restaurants. <laughs> you thought it was International yeah, House of Pancakes? It's actually Infestation, Heebie-Jeebies, Repression, and Possession. <laughs> Come and get your demon pancake. Services. Now, while the uh, Warrens are explaining the IHOP of demon possession, uh, who is in the audience but none other than Mama Carolyn Perron? Along with, according to this website, a cameo of the real-life Lorraine Warren was in this scene as well. Looking at Vera Formega, who plays Lorraine Warren in the movie, going, man, I looked hot when I was younger. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You, you didn't look anything like Vera Formega. 
What is yeah. her name? Bira Fermigra. She has an interesting look, too. Yeah, but she's a good-looking lady. Yeah, she's good-looking in like that austere, high-society lady kind of look. Right. I forgot to mention this, but before Carolyn goes to the the Warren's lecture, a demon closes a door on her face and she falls down the steps. That's important, because Ed Warren's going to say something real stupid here coming up. Real stupid. Because after the... After the lecture, Carolyn goes up to the Warren's like, Hey, listen guys, my house has, has a ghost. And uh, we would really like you to come and check it out. And they're like, oh, I don't really want to. We got... It's Lent tomorrow. He was trying to get to IHOP. <laughs> we got to go to IHOP, check on our businesses. But they do go out there reluctantly. And once they step inside the Peron home... <sighs> Lorraine's like, there's some boogies in here. I feel some boogie <laughs> monsters. They smell rotten meat. Cold spots. Rhythmic knocking and threes that stop at dawn. There's a demon in this here house. And then Ed goes, like I said, really stupid comedy. He's like, good news. We've got time. Let me go get all my cameras and stuff. You guys are good. Just stay here in this demon house. Um, Because... And the reason why you have time is because the ghosts haven't done anything violent yet. Excuse me, Ed? This ghost just gave Mama a, at least a mild concussion as she as it threw her down the steps. <laughs> he keeps he, it keeps trying to to rip poor Christine's leg out of socket. How in the world are you gonna say that hasn't done anything violent yet? Apparently that doesn't classify. So, it's all good. No, but as they're walking around the house, first time Lorraine is picking up a, a psychic vision of a woman hanging from an old tree. And as Scott rightly pointed out as we watched this movie last night, if you asked me to draw what a tree, a creepy hanging happened at, I would have drawn that tree. It's just I mean, got that perfect hanging branch. Yeah, it's got a nice hanging branch. It's, it's nice. And then she also sees the shadow of the demons just holding on to the parent family, and they're not going to let them go. As Ed gives this analogy, listen, guys, sometimes demons are like stepping on gum. You're going to take it with you. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good analogy. Yeah, but I I don't think he's a bad actor, but his delivery, he's so, like, nonplussed about anything. He's just, yeah, guys, listen, you don't have a ghost. <laughs> it's just a demon. Don't worry about it. Listen, listen, it's like, it's like stepping on gum, guys. You're going to take it with you. So are you saying I should rub some peanut butter on myself? <laughs> After seeing all these spooky, spooky things around here, and these demon gum clinging to the shoes of the parents, the Warrens are like, hey, your house needs an exorcism. They're doing a little research before they can exorcise this house, and trust me, this house needs some exercise. It is a little chunky. 
Um, top quality jokes here. Rotten Righteous. <laughs> so they're doing some some research back at their home, and they learn about this woman named Bathsheba Sherman. And if you're thinking to yourself, hold on a second, Bathsheba Sherman, I know she doesn't play a good character. Her name's Bathsheba Sherman. And I'm like, oh, duh. Listen, Bathsheba in the Bible gets a bad rap. I'm not going to argue that. However, if in the modern day you come across a woman named Bathsheba, run the other way. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Nothing good can come out of a relationship with Bathsheba. (laughs) Wait, so... This, somehow I missed this because at the end of the movie where he's like talking about, you know, he calls it Bathsheba or whatever. I was like, where does that come from? I mean, that's so a big, that's a big me. point to miss, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the whole crux of the movie. Where does, where does this Bathsheba woman come from? Okay. So they're doing research trying to figure out what the history of this house is. There's this woman named Bathsheba Sherman who was related to an accused witch during the Salem witch trials by the name of Mary Town oh, okay. Estee. Now, back in yeah, the 1860s, she attempted to murder her seven-day-old child and offer it to Satan. When her husband stopped her, Bathsheba, or when her husband discovered what she had done, Bathsheba ran outside, said, Hey, everybody, I love Satan, cursed the land, and then hung herself from the creepy tree in the backyard at 3.07 a.m. Bathsheba Sherman was related to an accused witch named Marytown Esty. Now, back in the 1860s, she attempted to murder her seven-day-old child, and she succeeded. And uh, her husband saw this and was understandably upset, so Bathsheba ran outside, said, Hey, everyone, I love Satan a whole bunch, and then hung herself from a creepy tree, the one in the backyard. And uh, what time did she kill herself? I don't know, 3.07 a.m. Since then... The 200 acres that she cursed, she said anybody comes on my land is going to be accursed, had been subdivided in little houses, uh, tiny boxes made of ticky-tacky, had been built up all around this, and and people have been just having a bad time, real, real depressed, killing themselves. Rory is that little boy that, that the, the youngest daughter April's talking to, was actually killed by his mama, and then she committed suicide in the cellar. So, Bathsheba is this demon. And uh, the the parent or and the Warrens know that Bathsheba likes to get inside people and and make them all murdery. So they got to take care of this fast. So they begin their investigation of the parent house because they need to get enough evidence to convince the Catholic Church that an exorcism needs to be performed. And as we all know, you can gather as much damnable evidence against the Catholic Church that you want, and they still will deny it. So you basically need a rock-solid case against uh, 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 against this house, you know? Uh, they also bring along some help. Officer Brad Hamilton, who doesn't believe in ghosts, but does believe that a big old terrible mustache makes him look good and drew a creepy pervert that immediately starts hitting on the parents uh, underage daughter their oldest one at least at least he's not going after april but still um and they set up all the the top of the line 1970 ghost hunting equipment we're talking cameras little bells tied to strings thermometers that that sends a signal to a camera to take a picture if it gets too cold too fast, and of course, microphones. And they also bring a bunch of religious icons, like crosses and whatnot, to tick off any offending entity and to call it out so it wants to fight and they can stop it. So we're either dealing with a demon that murdered its baby or an old-school Church of Christer. So they're calling the demon out. They're going to fight it. 
And whatever they decided to do worked because Bathsheba gets real mad. How mad does she get? Well, let me tell you, friend. She floats above Carolyn, the mom, one night and just vomits some blood in her mouth. That was disgusting. Like, nothing else grossed me out, really, about this movie, but that was freaking raunch. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, we mentioned this in passing, but one thing that indicates that a demon is around is the smell of rotten meat. Bathsheba vomits up some some demon blood in, in Carolyn's mouth. And that's how she's possessed. It is real creepy. Now, as this investigation is underway, Ed decides that he's going to fix up the dad, Roger's car. Because they're not just your normal demonologists, okay? They're not going to go in there, identify a problem, and take care of it. No, they're also going to fix your vehicles. This here is... The service is unmatched. Seriously. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Exercise your house and fix your car. That's on their, their business cards. Mechanic and, services. And as Ed is fixing the car, he tells Roger that he's a little worried about Lorraine. Because every time they work on a case, whatever Lorraine sees or feels takes a toll. Which is ironic, because Lorraine lived ten years longer than Ed. Um, I feel like if she's given pieces away, she wouldn't have lived to be in her 80s. But, uh... She lived to be 92. Okay, and to her 90s. You want to know how you do that? You don't actually give pieces of yourself away, but you just make up stories. I bet she was a really good core fiction writer. Like, she'd probably give Stephen King a run for his money. So I've read a lot of Stephen King. Not one time have I read that a demon vomits in the mouth of someone else. <laughs> We're going back to this case of uh, the last exorcism that they worked on. That that something happened. That upset Lorraine so much that she isolated herself from everyone for eight days without food. Ned doesn't want that to happen again. And Roger's like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. And I won't ask. And I'm like, well, what good are you, Ed? Your whole, your whole point of being in this movie is to say stupid analogies and give us exposition. Cindy's a sleepwalker. One of the little girls is. Not the youngest, but the second youngest, Cindy. She's a sleepwalker. And uh, when she sleepwalks, she really likes to bang her head against the wardrobe that's in the house. But one time, she's sleepwalking and the door slams shut to the wardrobe room. They can't get in. It's all spooky and scary. But it turns out that Cindy found a secret passage. She found her way to Narnia, except Narnia is a crawl space in between the walls. Lorraine follows after her, but just as she's about to reach Cindy and pull her to safety, she falls. This is a maybe three-story house. She falls 437 stories. I don't know how it happened, Luke. She fell for so long. She crashed through at least eight floors. <laughs> It's a haunted house, you know? It's sure. three stories deep in the ground. Not only is this house able to make you fall 
so many stories, even though there's only three. But also, you can fall down, straight down a three-story house, and only get a small cut on your forehead. But other than that, be perfectly fine. If there's anything that this movie proves, it's that uh, Lorraine don't really apply to this house. No, it just proves that Lorraine Warren's calcium count in her bones was so, so high. (laughs) But in the basement, she comes face to face with Rory's mom, who, if you remember, killed Rory and then killed herself. But she learns that Bathsheba possessed her to kill her child which is what Bathsheba's doing now to Carolyn. She's going to possess her and make her kill her daughters. So they have enough physical evidence now uh, to, to take it to the Catholic Church. And he takes it over to the local priest. And the priest is like, dude, I'm from Rhode Island, a sleepy town here. What are you talking about? I don't do no exorcisms. They're like, please. And he's like, I'm going to have to take this to the Pope and get permission. But I'm going to push it through myself. Because I'm a local priest, and I have that power. Apparently, yeah. He has some clout. That Archdiocese of Rhode Island, you know, pull their weight. Now, keep in mind that Ed Warren said that demons were like gum. That you step on. They stick with you. So it makes perfect sense that after the Warrens leave to go talk to the priest, that the parents are like, hey, we should leave this house. They literally said earlier in the movie, hey, this is not going to help. Hey, we're going to do this. Anyways, dumb. Maybe they thought it would delay it for a while. But what I don't understand is, like, if they know that the mother's going to be possessed, why don't they keep an eye on her? Yeah, that's a good idea. Now, when Lorraine fell through the 300 stories that led to the three-story basement down below... And she saw Rory's mom. She lost her silver locket. And this is a locket that her daughter Judy gave to her. Judy has a matching locket. And apparently Bathsheba, most powerful demon in the world. Because she can use matching lockets to screw with people in different states. And that's just what she does. Bathsheba goes over to the Warren's house. She picks up Annabelle the doll, brushes her hair. It's a real creepy scene. And then she tries to murder the child with a rocking chair. Kind of choice. Which is kind of messed up when you think about it, because rocking chairs are like one of the most comfortable things in the world. You shouldn't be trying to murder people with them. Say it. But luckily, Ed gets back into the house from visiting the priest just in time to save her daughter from rocking chair manslaughter. That wasn't manslaughter. That was straight up homicide. True. I was trying to make a joke on vehicular manslaughter, but I realized that you can't really say rocking chair in a way that sounds like vehicular until after I was already committed to finishing the joke. Then Ed and Lorraine receive a phone call from Roger. And Papa Perrin says that Carolyn Perrin took the two youngest girls, Christine and April, for a little drive in the middle of the night. The Warrens were like, yeah, we meant to call you. Um, She's probably going to kill your kids. That's, that's kind of what happens. Bathsheba gets inside the mamas of people that live in that house and kill their babies. 
I know, our bad. We had your phone number. Listen, our rocking chair just flew and tried to kill our daughter. We had a lot going on here. Uh, but yeah, you probably should uh, go and find your missus. So uh, yeah, she's, she's going to kill your kids. But then Roger's like, okay. And everybody jumps up and they're going to, boom, go in and, and save the babies from Mama Carolyn. So, the Warrens race back to the parent house, and they get Carolyn down in the basement, and they, they pull her up, and they try to take her outside, but then her skin just starts melting off. It's real gross and scary looking. Don't like that. She can't leave the house. Great. So now they can't take her to the priest to perform the exorcism. They're going to have to do something that night, because Carolyn is going to die, and she can't leave the house. So, what do they do? They get a second rocking chair that just so happened to be in the basement of the parents' house, and they tie <laughs> and they tie Carolyn to it. And then, you know, Ed's like, I can't do an exorcism. I'm not ordained. And Lorraine's like, you can totally do an exorcism. And Ed's like, you're right, I can totally do an exorcism. So then, he pulls out his Bible, says some Latin it's not making Bathsheba very happy. She's pretty grumpy about this. She's throwing up blood. It's real gross. But with a little perseverance and a little stick to and a reminder from his wife that God brought them together for a reason, and this is the reason, not all those other people we saved from the hundreds of artifacts and demons that we have, have exercised from people, but this is the reason... All those other people didn't mean squat. This is it. <laughs> Ed's like, okay, I got this. Hey, demon Bathsheba, go to hell. And demon Bathsheba's like, okay. And she does. Now we need to figure out where these daughters are. Well, daughter. They found the, the, the frumpy one. They put her in the back of a cop car and a bird flew at her. She got scared for a minute, but she's fine. But, <laughs> but April, oh boy. Where's April? Turns out that the ghost of Rory led her to a crawl space underneath the kitchen floor. How are they going to get her out? Oh, they're going to stab vertically down with that piece of iron pipe that they found to broke, break through the floorboards. To which I responded, what if you missed? What if the place you are stabbing straight down into this crawl space is the place where the child's head is at? Well, They could, they could have killed April. He didn't have time to think about that. He was in the moment. He was trying to save her. You gotta take your chances when you're dealing with the demons. But they find April. Carolyn, you know, gets rid of Bathsheba. It's all fun. Fine, everything's good. Except for this. Carolyn immediately gives April a hug. And keep in mind that Carolyn was actively trying to kill this child. With a pair of scissors. Yes, with a pair of scissors. So... And that little girl just accepts her mom's hug. I, I'm sorry, but if my mom <laughs> was visibly... This was the most unbelievable part of the entire movie. <laughs> was, was visibly was possessed like, nah, by a demon. Nah, this is <laughs> and she was. There was no mistake. There was a demon in that woman. Her eyes were all white. She had veins growing everywhere. It was a bad time. But if my mom's like, oh, I promise I'm okay now. I'm not going near that woman again. <laughs> Mommy loves you. No, you you tried to stab me with scissors, woman. It'd at least take a couple days. And then the cops roll up. 
And they're like, it's okay now. Everything's fine. Now, if I'm a police officer, I'm at the very least taking Carolyn into custody for attempted murder. Why did they call the police? That's a great question. You can't you like, can't hurt demons. You can't hurt demons with bullets. I've tried. They already had a police officer there anyway. Carolyn should be in jail. And you know for a fact that Roger the second after. I'm not advocating for divorce for any reason, but the <laughs> second after he found out that the demon was gone, he was getting those five girls going to a lawyer and moving far, far away. Be a little hard to continue in that marriage. Although he was still advocating for her when she was puking blood and screaming through the blanket with demon possessed eyes. And he was like, Oh, don't hurt my Carolyn. So but apparently I think his love was stronger than ours. Everything's good. The Warrens helped another family. And uh, the Warrens returned home tired, but satisfied that they solved another case, like a couple of Scooby-Doo characters. And Lorraine talks to the Catholic Church, tells them what happened. She learns that the Vatican has approved the exorcism. Way to go, Catholic Church. You're always right on the ball there. But then Ed goes into his little room of occult objects and creepy dolls and stuff, and he places the music box that called Rory the most helpful demon ghost in the whole world on the shelf there. And as he leaves, it opens up and plays a little song. You're like, we're going to see us. A, we're going to see us a demon. It's going to be scary. <laughs> but then nothing happens. The end. Don't scare. Gotcha. Saw you jump, Colin. Saw it. <laughs> I would say that... As far as horror movies are concerned, this is probably one of the cleaner ones you can watch. There's no nudity, very little cussing, very little blood. But I will say, before you're like, great, I finally found that movie to watch with my 10-year-old, it is probably one of the most genuinely terrifying movies I've ever seen in my life. What makes this movie more terrifying than others? Because people always say that, but like all the horror movies I've ever seen are like basically the same. I think that this one, it doesn't rely on CGI. It's all practical, you know? I mean, there's a couple of CGI shots in, I'm not saying that, but for the most part, we're all familiar with creaky doors or drafts slamming them shut with, you know... Things falling over for seemingly no reason. And so it gets into your head a little bit like, okay, was that just happenstance or do I got me a daemon? <laughs> but yeah, what I'm saying is I wouldn't bust this out for uh, your next youth group meeting. Probably not. Okay, so, yeah, Conjuring's pretty... I, I thought it was a good movie, though. Like, I, it was an entertaining movie. 
I'm still at the point where it's like, I can't fathom when on earth I would come home and be like, Hey wife or girlfriend, I have free time. Let's watch a movie about demon possession and people having their lives ruined by evil. (laughs) I just, and cause for me, like, some people are like, oh, I love the feeling of being scared. I love going to the movies I hate and it. being scared. And yeah, I, I just don't understand that at all. Like, but for me, I will I just say, feel like there's enough evil in the world. I don't want to go watch it on TV. True, but you know, but at Halloween, you know, there's a certain time of year where tradition says that you need to watch a scary movie. <laughs> I don't know. I so, guess I never got that tradition. So, but all I'm saying is if you are going to watch a scary movie, there's a lot worse options out there. That is probably true, yeah. As far as cleanliness-wise, and as far as entertainment value. It's an entertaining movie. It had more of a plot than a lot of the others that I have seen. Right. And it was a little bit more coherent than a lot of the others I had seen. Next week, we're going to be kick off our Christmas season by watching the 1964 classic, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. This looks like gold. It's a children's movie revolving around a band of inept green Martians who kidnap Santa to bring Christmas to the listless children of the Red Planet. Thank you, Santa, for bringing happiness to the children of Mars. And the Christmas spirit to all of us. Son, from the bottom of my heart... I wish you and yours the very best of everything. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, everybody! Drapful Claus is here! Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! (laughs) They're laughing at an alien who has a beach ball and a Santa costume with terrible green makeup on his face. They pop the beach ball. We can get back in time for Christmas Eve. What? Shall we get going? What? Oh, goodness. What is that? It's like a... (laughs) I think it's Santa's like a chemistry set that they turned into a spaceship. I mean, why can't his reindeer fly through space? They're they're obviously faster than that thing. I was also unaware that there were so many stars between Mars and us. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that looks trash. Hot trash. Yeah, but at least the soundtrack's good. Hang up that mistletoe. Ho, ho, ho. Christmas Day, you'll wake up and say, Hooray for Santa Claus. S-A-N-T-A-C-A-L-U-S. Hooray for Santa Claus. You'll spell it Santa Claus. The movie ends with a karaoke. (laughs) Karaoke. See, that's how you know it's good. Yeah. Whoa. That's going to be an experience.
So uh, join us next week as uh, we dive into the Christmas spirit. Because when our wives aren't picking movies for us, we end up watching crap like this. <laughs> for Rotten or Righteous, I am Zach Geiler. I am Lorraine Warren. And I am Luke Taylor. But before we go, hey, did you hear about the, the jack-o'-lantern bodybuilder? You know how he got so strong? Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah, the, the bodybuilder wow. Jack Leonard got so strong by pumpkin iron. <laughs> Golden joke. All right, I gotta run. Good night, everybody. Catholic, so they ain't gonna help them. Right. They're like, oh, none of these kids are baptized. These here be Protestants. Everyone knows... Listen, everyone knows that demons don't possess Protestants. They don't like the taste. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, that was funny. That was a good joke, Zach. Thanks, Zach. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hey, Luke, do you know how demons find out about their future? No. They read a horror scope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I once dated a demon. You did? did? Yeah, but it didn't work out because she was a little too possessive. <laughs> did you know if a demon ever goes bald, they'll be hell to pay? <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> but in all seriousness I tried I, I threw holy water on a demon one time and tried to banish it back to hell uh huh but my wife was furious and told me not to treat her mother like that <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't use that I like one that but one. I wish I could <laughs> hey what's the name of a demonic cookbook uh, I don't know the Necronom Nom Nom. Do you know what demons store human souls in? No. They put them in sufferware. You know, the other day I was sitting in my living room and a demon baby appeared. And I'll be honest with you, I ignored it for a while. But, you know, eventually I had to address the hell infant in my room. Do you know where Satan shops for luxury items? Mm-mm. Demon Marcus. Knock, knock. Who's there? Dishes. Dishes who? Dish is a very bad Halloween joke. Do you know what the mommy ghost said to the baby ghost? No. Don't spook until you're spoken to. Uh, A skeleton walks into a bar and he orders a beer and a mop. (laughs) Is that the whole joke? (laughs) Mm-hmm.